0: I'm Dave Champion. There's been a lot of talk in the media over the last handful of weeks about SARS-CoV-2 variants. But do we really know what a virus variant is or what it means? And frankly, the media isn't just talking about variants. There's a lot of hype going on. As we get going, I think it's really important to state at the outset that when the SARS-CoV-2 virus mutates, creates a variant, it remains the SARS-CoV-2 virus. It doesn't become some other Frankenstein kind of thing. So how many viruses mutate? One hundred percent of them. It's essentially what viruses do. How frequently do they mutate? Frequently. (laughs) DNA genome viruses, uh, they mutate less often than RNA genome viruses, which gets into the whole replication thing. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, The SARS-CoV-2 virus is an RNA genome virus, so it tends to mutate more than would a DNA genome-based virus. Whether we're speaking of a new strain, a variant, lineage, these are all the product of the broad category or fall under the umbrella of mutation. Okay, so when a virus mutates, it can create a new strain, which has the exact same meaning as a variant, or it can alter the lineage, which that mutation does not rise to the level of a new strain or variant. I said the words new strain and the word variant have the exact same meaning, and that's true. And for most of this SARS-CoV-2 outbreak, the media was using the word strain. A new strain here, a new strain there, which is completely normal and to be expected. It's not like, ah, as the media would like you to believe. Why suddenly, just in the last maybe six to eight weeks, have government media changed to using variant rather than a strain. Well, simple. A new strain didn't cause the public to be filled with anxiety and panic and fear. So since strain didn't get that job done, they've changed now and they're using the word variant, which seems to be more effective in achieving that goal. People seem to be much more concerned about a new variant than they are a new strain, despite the fact they mean the exact same thing. A moment ago, I mentioned that you can have a mutation that creates a change in lineage without rising to the level of being a new strain variant. I'm kind of a research geek, so I found this really fascinating. I want you to take a look at this chart, which shows how the various lineage of the SARS-CoV-2 viruses traveled across the world. Yeah, meaningless to the general public, but I find it intriguing. Every day, you breathe in millions viruses. I don't think most people are aware of that. Uh, They think virus, bad. (laughs) When the vast majority, I mean, it'd be hard to even put this into a statistical uh, equation for you. The vast majority of viruses are completely uh, meaningless to human beings. We literally breathe in millions of viruses a day. Every once in a while, some becomes pathogenic to humans. It causes some sort of illness. And when that happens, we have uh, basically two kinds of mutations. Uh, those that have no functional practicality to the actual virus. The virus mutates, but there is no functional distinction. It doesn't change much of anything. It might change something. If you were, if the virus had a brain, it might perceive a change. But we as human beings, it, there's no functional difference. So that is referred to as a silent mutation. Silent because from the perspective of human beings... It's a pathogen. It's in the body. It has a mutation that does absolutely nothing, no functional distinction. So, as humans, we call that a silent mutation. Then there are mutations that do have a functional difference that human beings care about. Uh, and of course, we only care about viruses that are pathogenic to us, right? Uh, if they don't cause illness in us, we don't care how they mutate. So we start with the fact that of these, you know, billions and billions and billions of viruses, we only care about the handful at any given time that are actually causing problems for human beings. So then when that handful of viruses, in this case, we're gonna narrow that down to one virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, when that virus mutates in such a way that there is a functional difference, we still don't care about it unless the functional difference adversely or positively perhaps affects us. The mutation of a virus can affect us in one of three ways. Number one, transmissibility. Number two, immunogenicity. And number three, virulence. So those are the only three things that can be the consequence of a mutation that we care about. Let's take a brief look at each of those three. We'll start with transmissibility. So when a virus mutates, as far as transmissibility is concerned, it can be more greatly transmissible, more easily transmissible from person to person, or the mutation might cause it to be less transmissible. Now, here's an interesting equation. If you have a virus that, let's say, for every 10 people the virus comes in contact with, it infects one person. If there is a mutation and now, out of every 10 people the virus comes in contact with, it infects five people, that's a pretty significant jump in transmissibility, yes? However, if you have a virus that's very transmissible, let's say out of every 10 people it comes in contact with, it infects 9 of them, if it suddenly goes from 9 to 9.5, yeah, that's nowhere near as significant an increase in transmissibility. I bring that up because SARS-CoV-2 made a jump in transmissibility back in June, at least according to the Scripps Institute, So it became highly transmissible. So as we're sitting here talking about this in January, almost February of 2021, the transmissibility, the the jump that a mutation could cause in transmissibility would, in its very nature, since it's already highly transmissible, any jump that it would take in transmissibility would be fairly irrelevant. That's not what you're hearing from the media, is it? Proving the transmissibility of a virus has increased or decreased, I know that people love to think that when epidemiologists or biostatisticians say something uh, or the media reports something, it simply is because that guy said so. But the truth is, it's virtually impossible to tell whether a virus mutation has caused the virus to increase its transmissibility or decrease its transmissibility or perhaps stay the same. Here's why. In order to prove that, you would have to say, for instance, Mary Jane, okay? You would have to say that if she was exposed to the original version, she would not have gotten infected. But having been exposed to the newer version, yeah, she suddenly got infected. So, how would you know? How would you compare this? You would have to literally lock her up in a very sterile environment. You would have to intentionally expose her to the original version of the virus. You would, after, say, 10 or 15 or 20 days, depending on the virus, you would then have to introduce the uh, new variant that you presume perhaps is, uh, has a greater transmissibility rate. You, you would have to expose her to that and see if she became infected with that newer version. And then there's all sorts of variables that you would have to control for that you can't. And then, of course, the fact that that happened, say, let's say Mary Jane did become infected with the newer variant. So you say, aha, it's more infectious. So what happens if you then take Billy Bob and you do the same thing with Billy Bob? And he doesn't become infected with either one. So (laughs) you see the problem, right? It is virtually impossible. It is... It is numerical hypothetical guesswork on the part of epidemiologists when they say, oh yeah, that, that's less transmissible, or now it's more transmissible. Oh, always take that with a grain of salt. Immunogenicity, all right, so a fancy word meaning that the antibodies that are protected against the original version of the virus may not or will not protect you against the subsequent or newer variant strain of the virus. Okay. So can that happen? Yes, it can. But statistically, it's incredibly rare. And of course, that's one of the things that the media is, is just really playing on right now. Oh my God, the new variant. Oh, oh, we might not have immunity to the new variant. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. So statistically, it virtually never happens. The reason for that is the human body's immune process is pretty sophisticated. I don't know if you remember, going back to perhaps June, researchers were trying to explain why school-aged children seemed virtually unaffected by SARS-CoV-2. And the hypothesis they came up with is a lot of the common colds that go around are coronavirus. So they said since children, they're in that, com- that communal environment of the classroom, and then they're out in the play yard and they're screwing around, um, that because these the common cold caused by various coronaviruses, uh, the family of coronavirus has circulated within all these children. Therefore, when SARS-CoV-2 another coronavirus, or another virus within the family of coronaviruses, came along the children's immune system, were like, okay, that's a coronavirus, we know that, we're done with that, and they would immediately defeat it, and it would not get in them, it would not make them sick. Okay, so that was the hypothesis put out by researchers, that children had a a fair degree of natural immunity to the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus because they had Antibodies pertaining to the family of coronaviruses. Okay, so you see what researchers are saying then is we've got this broad family of coronaviruses that these kids have had. So, all the antibodies for this broad spectrum of coronavirus, yeah, it can work against this one called SARS CoV 2. So, suddenly now, here we are in January, cusp of February of 2021. Suddenly, the argument is well, it's still a coronavirus. But if it mutates just this little tiny bit, oh my God, then your antibodies won't stop it anymore. Okay, so this is fear-mongering. The idea that because the SARS-CoV-2 virus has a tiny, tiny shift of mutation in its amino acid profile, that suddenly the human body that saw the original version and created antibodies, now it's got this little tweak in the amino acid profile, now your body's not gonna be able to fight it off Yeah. So the odds of that are, about as close to zero as we can statistically say. There's a phrase in statistician work, and that is statistically insignificant. And the odds that the SARS-CoV-2 virus, that the amino acid profile of one of these little mutations, could shift enough that if you had it and developed antibodies that you cannot fight it off again, is statistically insignificant. It is incredibly tight. All right, so we've covered transmissibility and immunogenicity. Now let's move on to virulence. Virulence is how sick a person becomes when that virus causes whatever disease it is a particular pathogen causes within them. In this case with SARS-CoV-2, if it develops into disease, that disease is referred to as COVID-19. So in that context, virulence means how severe... The COVID-19 would be. And within the broad umbrella of COVID-19, we have various symptoms. Would you have fewer symptoms, more symptoms, different symptoms, more intense symptoms? So that's what virulence means. And clearly, no one ever wants a pathogenic virus that causes disease in humans to mutate in such a way that it is more virulent. The good news is That, again, statistically, virtually never, ever happens. Does it happen? Sure. But the odds are infinitesimally small. It virtually almost never happens. Now, I know you've got people like Anthony Fauci out there, you know, and he always does this stuff. He never says, this is so, that is so. This is so. What he says is, I have great concerns about the fact that it's gonna be more virulent. and it's gonna kill more people and make more. I have great concerns about. Okay, so I think it's really important to note a couple of things. There is no hard evidence, going back to transmissibility for a moment, that any of the new variants are any more transmissible, have any greater transmissibility factor than earlier versions, and more importantly, When it comes to virulence, there is, and I cannot stress this enough, there is absolutely zero evidence that any of the variants that have propped up around the world is any more virulent, makes the COVID-19 worse, than the earlier variants. There is Concern. Scientists are looking at it. Researchers are examining it. Okay, that's fine. That's cool. That's what you'd want to do in the middle of a viral outbreak. You would want to examine these things. So, as I'm sitting here talking to you at the very end of January, beginning of February 2021, how much evidence is there that any of these variants is more deadly than the earlier versions? Zero. Okay. So when you see this in the media them reporting that oh my god, Anthony Fauci said or whatever the narrative is, I want you to be I want to be clear with you that there is absolutely no evidence that any of that is true. Let's recap on transmissibility. There is no evidence that any recent strain variant <laughs> has changed the transmissibility factor of SARS-CoV-2. Again, back in June, there was a claim that a variant then caused dramatically higher infection rates. But if we want to stick to the last couple of months, there is absolutely no evidence that any of the new variants that they're talking about, the South South African variant, the uh, South American variant, the UK variant, there's no evidence, evidence, different from a false narrative, there is no evidence evidence that the transmissibility is any different. Immunogenicity. There is, again, no evidence that any of the new strains or variants, this goes all the way back from day one. If we consider March of 2020 to be day one, I think it was actually earlier than that, but if we just draw an arbitrary line and say March of 2020, there is absolutely zero evidence that any of the strains or mutations or variants Uh, that have occurred with SARS-CoV-2 have resulted in a situation where if you had it, defeated it, you have antibodies, you now have immunity. There is no evidence that that has changed by any of the strains or variants that we've seen in the last couple of months. And virulence. This is, of course, the big one because this is the one that the media and the government and people like Fauci want to terrify the public with that... This mutation, or the the one we're expecting next week, yeah, it's gonna make things much worse. It's gonna kill a lot more people. Again, statistically, the odds are infinitesimally small that that would happen, and as far as evidence, it hasn't happened as of this time. So I think it's really important when the media and government is um, using these factors, to try and scare the public, that the public actually is aware of what the data says and whether or not there is evidence to support any of this fear-mongering.